Happier Work, Happier Life, episode 19. Thomas Huang here from Happier with Katerina Deris, the founder of The Skill Shop. Today we discuss what it takes to excel in a role in sales, the sales career path progression, and what it looks like in a post-COVID-19 world. So if you're interested or you're in sales or thinking about joining sales, tune in for this podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Can you give a quick introduction about yourself, Katerina? Thank you so much for having me today, Thomas. Uh, my name is Katarina, and I started a company called The Skill Shop, where I provide sales mentoring and sales training and sales learning experiences for sales teams and entrepreneurs and business owners. That's awesome. Um, why, why did you choose sales? I sort of fell into it, honestly. Um, when I, so I, after my high school, I studied hotel management. So when I was 15, I remember having that passion of going into hotels. So hotel management was how I started out. Um, and after my uh, graduation, I studied in Switzerland. I went for an internship to Beijing, to the Kempinski Hotel there, and actually started in my first year of management traineeship in front office. And I did a little bit of housekeeping. And when I was six months into the internship, a position became available in that sales department which was a sales position that could only be occupied by an, an international person because it was the position that served uh, the diplomatic market in Beijing. Mm. So um, I think the lady that had done it for a couple of years was from Eastern Europe and she spoke many languages. So they were looking for someone who spoke a couple of languages and who was interested in serving that political and diplomatic market. Um, and I personally, it's, that's also a topic that I'm really interested in. So I applied for the position and got along with the head of marketing and head of sales at that hotel and, and was so fortunate to fall into that role. And it was really, it, it was a fantastic first sales job to have. What, what does it take to get into sales? What kind of person do you think is suitable for sales jobs? That's a very good question. And, you know, honestly, I think when I started out in sales 15 years ago, I probably would have answered that differently than how I would answer it today because, of course, the sales world has changed so much. And now that I've done so many different sales positions, I think I look at it, of course, differently. So I think today I would say the most important characteristic that you would need to bring to the role is being an action-oriented person, someone who really enjoys initiating, someone who's a self-starter. Um, because, of course, in sales, you, you think about who your target customers are, you think about a strategy and then it's up to you really to execute. And one of the biggest pitfalls, for example, in sales and business development is inconsistency. So, you know, sometimes you have sales managers that have great ideas and they start, you know, contacting people. But then, you know, one month later, two months later, they haven't heard back and they completely forget about the fact that they actually haven't heard back and then they need to follow up. And it, and then, you know, the, the customer on the customer end hears from someone once, but then not a second time, not a third time. And then it's not taken, that's not a very serious approach and not a very, let's say, yeah, consistent approach to selling and to building relationships, right? So um, I think having that initiate in, in, initiative within yourself that you're able to reach out to people um, and that you're able to complete projects and follow through with things, I think that's very important. So I've also been guilty of this, of not following through and being consistent initially, <laughs> How do you how do you ensure that you are up to date, especially when you're juggling so many different things? How do you make sure that you are following up and staying consistent? Luckily, there are really great uh, CRMs out there, customer relationship management tools uh, that 
medium-sized companies mostly use, and of course, large companies anyways. There are tons of systems and tools that can help you stay on top of your tasks. Um, so I would say if, if you work for a really small company, of course, it really goes back to your very own time management skills. Um, and I think I'm, of course, a small company myself. So I think one tip that I would have is to really be very deliberate about your schedule and try to eliminate um, fractioned time. So you try to schedule big blocks of time in your day for focused work. Uh, you try. You have to schedule time for prospecting when you're in sales because reaching out to new customers is the bread and butter of what we do. So, But often in the sales schedule, that's also the activity that kind of gets crapped out because the other end, the customer is not expecting to hear from you, right? Mm -hmm. So then when you get busy with existing clients, you're like, oh, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't have time today for reaching out to new customers because I'm so busy with my current book of business. So make sure that you schedule that time for your thinking time where you work on strategy Make sure that you schedule time for your prospecting and stick to it and really do your prospecting. And just try to reduce, you know, this this waiting time in between calls or, you know, try to schedule anything that you don't like in the morning because we're all more alert in the morning. We're all more efficient in the morning. Um, and our brain works a little bit differently. It, it kind of goes with our body clock. So in the morning we, we happen, we, we are more alert. Um, whereas in the afternoon, for example, that's a good time to do team meetings that's a good time to do things that are more creative brainstorming is great in the afternoon um but yeah i would just say really be very deliberate about your time and if you are concerned about being inconsistent in how you reach out to your customer i would schedule each interaction i call them touch points into your calendar as well so that you remember okay today i sent an email to thomas for example and next monday i want to follow up with him so schedule that even if it's not really an hour of your time but how how do you make sure you're you're adding value to the customers instead of just annoying them like how, what there's a very <laughs> thin line between that yes it's the the thin line between bringing value and being a nuisance <laughs> yes exactly yes you're right and i speak about that often uh, to my customers because um that is i think a concern that salespeople often have and uh the most important part about being a salesperson is that you look at yourself as someone who creates value and who is a consultant to the client and who is an expert for the client, for their industry and in your own industry, of course. So you know how a lot of companies say, I'll go the extra mile for my client and, you know, anything you need will be there to help. You, you hear that a lot, right, in the business world in general. And one thing that I always advise is you need to walk that talk throughout the whole sales process. So instead of reaching out and saying, hi, I would love to have a phone conversation with you about my wonderful product and my product brings is, is so great because it saves you money and because it can do all these functions, reach out, think, think about how this interaction and each client interaction is bringing a benefit and value from the customer's point of view. So if you know that the company of your customer is currently onboarding a whole new team of, you know, professionals maybe you can share experience from your team or from your your company how that has been dealt with at your company and say hey i i read that you're currently onboarding so and so many people um i wanted to share this is this is a tool that we use for internal communications or for onboarding or for right just try to think of things from your customer's point of view and show them with each interaction that you are someone who brings value to the table so the client sort of builds a, an association right so Let's say you would reach out to me and each time 
you have been really helpful and you're sharing interesting insight with me, then I build that association that being in touch with Thomas is worth my time, right? But if you just call and you, you say, I just wanted to follow up on the proposal, do you have any questions? These are sort of the traditional ways of selling and, and sales approaches that don't work so well anymore today. All right. And I mean, in sales, we, we deal a lot with rejection. How, yes. how do you deal with that? You know, I always look at it as um, it not being really a rejection. So it's easy for me to say because I've dealt with it a lot. Uh, but to me, if somebody says no or is not interested in having a conversation, then I know, first of all, that it's not personal, of course. It is either me not having educated the client enough about why I think our they would really benefit from working with us. So it tells me to try out a new direction, right? So I'm very thankful sometimes for receiving no's because it tells me that I have to dig a little bit deeper to understand what the customer is actually looking for or to find a different approach. So um, let's say I've reached out to the customer three times by email and I, he kind of writes back clearly, look, I'm not interested. Then I know, okay, go back to your messages. What Have you expressed enough why this is relevant to your client? Or are the subject lines, you know, introduction of ABC company, you know, um, then of course the client is like, look, stop emailing me, <laughs> you know, but if you are able to express in the beginning of your email, what he stands to win and to gain. And, and this is also, of course, all true information, you know, sales should never be about tactics or schemes or anything like that. It has to be a, a true value proposition. Um, then I think you'll receive less no's and, and yeah. And do you ever, once you receive the first no, and then you reevaluate, take a step back, do you ever come back to the same person that's rejected you and tried again? Absolutely. So if, if I, if my sales research, so my research shows that uh, that customer would really be a very good customer for our company, meaning that we would both win from the relationship. It would be a great client for my organization, but at the same time, I know that I can leave a positive impact on their organization maybe help them, you know, streamline processes if I'm selling softwares or anything like that, I certainly go back. Um, sometimes I, I give it some time, but I keep, I stay in touch with the client. So, and that's what the contact strategy is all about. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but it's it's part of our outreach to our client. So um, I plan an outreach for a target customer and I expect that they don't say yes after one email and that they don't invite me for a meeting after the second interaction, right? So my outreach is then um, all around providing that value that you've mentioned. So let's say I stay in touch and after a month I sent him an interesting study that I came across or um, the month after I send a little note and, and say, um, I saw that your competitor was doing X, Y, Z. I, I had to think of you. Maybe this is something that's interesting for you too. So just stay in touch. You don't have like one human being to another human being, right? You think of someone, you send them a quick note. You see on LinkedIn that it's their birthday, you send them a quick note and you just stay in touch until you feel it's the right time again to possibly open up a sales conversation. And either there could have been a change on the client side that allows you to reopen that conversation or there could have been a change on your product or your service and on, on your end, right? That allows you to, again, open up that conversation. So essentially the context strategy is just ensuring you're staying in touch casually saying happy birthday, sending some articles that may be relevant, interesting to them yeah. until the time is right. Yes, exactly. 
Okay. And then you mentioned research. Yeah. What what goes into research for our sales? So there, I would always like to know more about my companies, other companies that I'm targeting than I'm able to find out. And I think a lot of salespeople know what I'm talking about because when you do, for example, research about car companies or about really large organizations, of course, you don't find all the information that you would love to have uh, on the internet. But there is a lot that you can do. So I always start with social media uh, to get a picture of what the company culture is like. Um, who works there? Where are people from? How old are they? Are they sort of in what demographic are they, right? Um, to understand how to reach out to them. Uh, Google Alerts is a great way as well as, uh, yeah, you use that, yes. right? Um, Google Alerts is a great thing to use. And if you are so fortunate to work with LinkedIn Sales Navigator, which um, I think costs about 800 US dollars a year. So small companies tend not to use it, but bigger companies do. Um, then you can also set these kind of alerts and insights for specific accounts in uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, for example. Um, you can read, of course, company reports that they're bringing out, their year-end reports. Um, so there's a lot that you can do to have a relevant conversation with your client. And you need to let your client know that you have gone through that because you want to avoid asking questions that are super obvious. So don't, you, and honestly, when I was a young salesperson, I did that too. I would go to, I, I would have a client meeting and possibly ask, you know, oh, so um, how many subsidiaries are there in Asia? You know, when I was working in China, for example. Or, and that's a question, honestly, I would never ask anymore today because you do your own research. That's something that is actually wasting your time in a sales meeting because you want to find out things that your competitor doesn't know about the client and can't find online. You want to know about their internal processes, their decision-making processes, their motivations for change and things like that. So after you utilize this context strategy, you set up the first meeting. How, how do you conduct yourself? So for instance... You mentioned not wasting time on information you should have done in your prior research. So you have the research there. We're at a, we're at a meeting. How, how do you make it work? Well, first of all, I think it's important to, uh, of course, when you invite your client for a meeting or you set a meeting time, that you let your client know before what it is that you're talking about. So it's like with any business meeting, you want to show your client that you're respecting their time you want to keep it within the 30 minutes that you've agreed on or possibly 20 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, whatever it is, and let the client know before what it is that you'll speak about. Um, and then I think it depends a little bit on where you are in the sales process. Of, of course, it, do you mean in terms of first impression, things like that? or Yeah, first impressions, also making sure the conversation flows in the direction that you want and then yeah. which leads to closing in the end. Right. So, yeah. Oh, I would love for like closing mostly doesn't happen like in the first you yeah. know, meeting, of course. But um, so I would say for every customer meeting, you have to have one specific goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And one misconception in sales, too, is that that goal is always closing. Because if you think about that, you know, the amount of touch points that you, for example, have as a consumer to buy, let's say, an Apple product, like a new Apple product. You have mm -hmm. probably seen, you know, an ad here, an ad there, a video somewhere. So you have had as a consumer multiple touch points until you come to that buying decision. And the same, the same rings true for a, a, in a B2B sales conversation. So for each of these interactions and these outreach uh, touch points with my client, I also define a specific goal. So let's say if I reach out to someone via LinkedIn in the beginning, my goal is simply to maybe get an email address. 
it's not for him to learn about my product. So I wouldn't send a lot of information about my company because the client is not ready at that point. Mm. So I think you need to define for yourself what that goal is in each customer interaction and just work your way towards that goal. So if you, you are now in a physical meeting with your client, your goal may be to get commitment from your client to introduce you to a second decision maker in the company. Or your goal may be to get the commitment from the client to actually look at a proposal that you would send. So you could say something like, um, thank you so much for your time today and for explaining this and that about your company and your current situation. You know, I think that there would be actually a really good fit. Would you take some time next week to actually take a look at a proposal if I would just draw something up for you and let you know a little bit more about our products and price points? Would that be okay? And I think if you ask someone not necessarily to buy from you right away, but you ask, would it be okay for you to take a look at a proposal? Who's going to say no? If you had a good conversation, you had a lovely chat, um, it's unlikely that a client would say, no, I'm not going to look at it. Unless the client knows at that point that he cannot work with you for whatever reasons. And then that's good too, because then you know, and you as a salesperson can start focusing your energy on, on other things. So multiple touch points. Um, generally, how many touch points do you have before a closing? So I think the statistic is 80% of the time, um, it is five or more touch points before closing. And in a contact strategy, I always plan for eight touch points over 13 weeks, oh, wow. <laughs> to be specific. Yeah. <laughs> and then after the eighth touch point, how do you close the deal? Well, that, of course, depends so much on how the sales process went. One, one piece of advice I think that I would have around closing is that, um, you know, we spoke about the commitment for someone to look at a proposal. Mm-hmm. There are, I think, about eight or nine different commitments that you can gain throughout a, a sales process. The first one, for example, being the commitment for time, right? For someone to actually either speak to you on the phone, have a Zoom call with you or meet with you in person when, when that's going to be back. Um, so instead of focusing on in the very beginning on closing the sales pitch uh, and the deal, focus on gaining one commitment after the time, after another. So the commitment for time, the commitment for, for, for having an open mind to change, right? If the client doesn't want to change anything about how they're currently doing things, it's unlikely they'll work with you. So work your way through these commitments and then you'll come much closer to that point where you're able to close. All right. And do you have any tips or advice for people in sales or looking to go into sales to upskill themselves and improve themselves and become better salespeople? Aside from your, I guess, training learning experiences, which are great. I've been to one myself last yeah. year. I know. It's so nice that we meet here again. Yeah. yeah. Um, certainly. I think if you're interested in getting into sales, there are a lot of different skills that you need to be a successful sales professional today. One of them, for example, is understanding financial data, of course. Um, so if you, if you need to have a good handle on all these different uh, financial reports and understand margins and things like that. So I think that's one area where you can try to upskill yourself, watch, you know, learning videos, YouTube videos. There is so much free, there are so many free resources out there. Um, another area that I think is very much needed today is being digitally savvy. So you need to understand social selling. Uh, social selling is not only about social media. It's, it's also, you, you can also apply that in a face-to-face -face setting, of course, but it's, understanding where you meet your customer, how you can engage them, what 
trigger events, as we call them, you can use to then reach out to them and how to have a very easy, comfortable relationship driven um, conversation with someone to build rapport in the early uh, stage of sale of selling. Um, so I would I think most graduates today probably are very comfortable with that. But there are also things like public speaking that are certainly very valuable in the sales world because I often found myself presenting in front of, let's say, a group of three or four buyers um, or, mm. or sometimes also larger groups at conferences and things like that where you end up presenting your product. Um, so that's something you should feel comfortable with. Executive presence, I think, is very important, um, especially now. Because we, we will probably speak a little bit about COVID and how that has changed For the sure. sales world. But one of the changes that I see is that you have a lot of sales staff out there that is used to selling to their counterparts at the on the client side. So let's say mid-managers or sometimes also junior staff, right? But the decision-making process has changed so much that right now a lot of CEOs are in charge of where money is being spent. Mm -hmm. And a lot of heads of companies are now in charge of signing every single um, purchasing request and and they're much more involved in approval processes. So now you have often junior salespeople that are supposed to sell to the C-suite, as it's called. Yep. And that is a whole different ballgame. So understanding executive presence, knowing how to, you know, how to uh, carry yourself, how to dress yourself, how to speak, um, and how to lead with insight. That is a very important topic in sales as well. I think that's important and, and something to upskill yourself at. And of course, I do... Uh, sales courses as well. So as you know, I'm now doing a lot of virtual courses and I'm actually planning on doing maybe one in October, which is really for entry level people that just want to learn more about sales, sort of sales basics. That's great. Um, I want to take a step back and sort of touch base on your career path sure. and give insight to people starting out in sales or considering it. So I saw on your LinkedIn, you worked in business development, sales in Lufthansa and Ritz-Carlton can you share your experiences on that and your sort of career progression? Yes, of course. So I started actually at the Kempinski Hotel Beijing Lufthansa Center. So it's not the airline Lufthansa, okay. um, but it's the building is somehow co-owned by Lufthansa, which is why the hotel is called that. Um, so I, like I said, I started out at, this, uh, at that hotel in Beijing. It was a super exciting time. Beijing was or is one of the cities around the world with most embassies. So I was serving 164 embassies in Beijing. Um, and it was great because I would go to the National Day of Iran and then the next day, the National Day of Malta and, you know, interact with with uh, all their staff members. So it was a really interesting world to move in. Um, and from that sales position, I grew into managing the events team at that property. Um, I then managed also some corporates, uh, corporate accounts. So accounts like IBM, Volkswagen. IBM then became, was bought by Lenovo, I remember. And Lenovo has a gorgeous office in Beijing. So I started expanding my market more into corporate sales um, and my job. And then I moved on to the regional sales office with Kempinski Hotels in Shanghai, which was a totally different role because it was really, that was my first real self-starter role. I came from being an on-property salesperson. So I was in a team selling something physical that people could see, they, they could come and look at my hotel. And then I went into an office where it was me, myself and I working from a regis office in Shanghai selling to the Shanghai market 15 hotels that were all around China, but we didn't have a hotel itself in Shanghai. So mm -hmm. it was hard to show customers. So that was a regional sales role, which definitely opened up my horizon a little bit on, on sales on a bigger scale, let's say, because I also had to cater to these 15 hotels that now were basically my client. 
um, and make sure that they got business out of that market. Um, and then I moved to an independent property, which is a privately owned, beautiful luxury hotel in Toronto. It's called the Hazelton Hotel. Mm. Um, and that's part of the leading hotels of the world. But it's because it is a boutique property, it was a very different ballgame. So I came from a larger corporation and then went into a beautiful uh, hotel with a very small team where a lot of uh, jobs were uh, split. So the job function was split. So our director of HR was also the director of housekeeping. Oh, wow. For example. So yeah. it was a small team, everybody wearing multiple hats, that kind of thing. And that was new for me. And um, I think I could bring a lot to the property. Um, but to be honest, I also, it, it also kind of, um, yeah, I was then also done with my dream of working for an independent hotel because I realized also that the path to your career path within that organization is, of course, very short. Yeah. So you can do one or two positions um, and then, uh, you know, where are you going to go from there? So I stayed for a year and it, it was a lovely team um, and then moved on to the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, Hotel organization. And uh, that was an eye-opening experience. It was my best work experience, personally. Mm -hmm. um, really a fantastic team. So the Ritz-Carlton is part of the Merit organization. And the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company is very well known for their customer service practices, um, for their employee engagement, for also their customer satisfaction service. It's the, I think, the only hotel company that has ever won a JD Power Award. That's so, awesome. yeah, it's, that's, it's a really impressive organization. And their company culture is really the best company culture that I've ever seen. And I felt incredibly empowered in that sales team to do my work on a very different level than I had done it before. And that was thanks to the this, the sales culture that the company had, uh, thanks to the sales intelligence tools that we were using. So they were certainly using more technology than my previous organizations were. There was a great amount of teamwork. Um, and yeah, it, that was an, a, a wonderful time as well. You just have this big smile on your face yeah, while you're talking I, about it. It's great. I really liked it. And in all of these roles, my my work always involved a lot of traveling. So for that property in, in Toronto, for the Ritz-Carlton, I handled the Midwest of the United States. Mm. I handled uh, the UK, also China, and all really emerging international markets like Brazil and things like that. So I ended up traveling into these regions to develop business there. For young people going in or considering sales, mm -hmm. What's your day-to-day -day like? Uh, maybe you can give a quick recap from the hospitality side, but also maybe a general one for people going to sales in tech industry, in um, F&B, and really anything. Yeah, I think it depends a little bit on your industry. And of course, your day-to-day -day has dramatically changed over the past six months because we're all working from home and you're not traveling right now. And um, so I think right now that day-to-day -day has changed. But generally speaking, and it will again change, of course, it's not going to stay exactly like this, I think, forever. Um, it So for me, it was always spending a lot of time uh, with my customers on the phone. It was creating insights, these value tools that we spoke about earlier. So um, you create, whether it's videos or blog posts, articles, you think of ways how you can provide value to your customer and then put that into a format that you can actually send it to a customer, right? Mm -hmm. So you spend time strategizing around that. Um, you certainly spend time with your team and your head of department. So they, And you have revenue meetings, of course. So um, yeah, actually 
I would say we had certainly three times a week. Uh, we had revenue meetings. We review our pipeline on a regular basis. And then you follow up on your activity. So if you have a good CRM, which I think most most companies would have, you basically, you have then scheduled all of your outreach, right? All of your yep. activities in your system and you go through them one after the other and you either reach out by email to people, you call people, you set up a call, whatever it is that your next step is in your sales process, you pursue that next step um, and keep your CRM neat and tidy because that's so important uh, and make sure that everything is super up to date in your CRM. And I mean, normally for me, there was always a lot of client interaction. So you do end up meeting your client for a coffee, for a lunch, um, you take them out for drinks, whatever helps for you to move on in that sales process, because you you don't want to have eight coffees. You're not going to end up having eight face-to-face -face meetings, but you also don't want your whole outreach strategy to be only emails, right? Mm -hmm. So the more personal it becomes, the better. And that's not because you want to build a fake friendship or something. It's not about that, but it's just around building trust and getting to know each other because I think each employee is motivated by something very unique, what they want to bring to their job and what they want to bring to their role. And it's important that you as a salesperson also understand their why, you know, why are they doing the job they do, what motivates them in their work. Um, so yeah, it helps to get to know each other. So I think you spend your time partially in your office, partially with your clients. Certainly there is some amount of thinking time where you do your research, you write your value tools, you do that strategy, you talk to marketing about how their blog posts and how all of their things are performing so that you know a little bit, okay, what are, what's trending, you know, what is happening in my market um, and in team meetings. And uh, so I would say it's, it's a really diverse day. And what can people going into sales expect for their career progression? I mean, you've been in the hotel industry um when do you know when it's time to move on to the next project and do you do people normally stay in the same business development sales sort of sector do they bounce around what can people expect i think if you are if you are performing well and if you are achieving your quota or exceeding your quota and you're thriving in the work that you do sales can have a relatively fast uh, progression for you I think your progression is faster when you stay in one market because you build very valuable client relationships. Um, and again, and I think your progression is also faster, of course, if you stay in the same industry because you become that person that has, let's say, you know, 2,000 clients or, or thousands of contacts within one specific industry. So you become that expert in that industry. You know all the clients in the market. So then, of course, you become a very attractive hire for other sales departments of your competitors, right? Because mm -hmm. you bring all of that knowledge, all that expertise and all these relationships with you. So you can have a very fast uh, progression, I believe. Sales is transferable, of course. And I see that now uh, that I work with different industries. Of course, the a lot of the key sales skills that you need are the same because at the end of the day, people sell to people. I always, even though the technology empowers us in so many ways. Yeah. Um, but I think if you if you enjoy one type of industry that you're in, I would recommend staying in that for some time to see what you can achieve in, in that industry. But it's not impossible. Say someone joins an industry, they realize they don't like it. They can still jump to another industry and stay in sales. I think that is absolutely possible. There are some that are a little bit an exception. So if, if your sales, if the product is very, very technical... Mm -hmm. um, and you need to have a good understanding of that technical aspect of the product that you're selling, um, 
then I would say less so. Same also the pharma industry, for example. That is an industry where that has large sales teams um, and it is very lucrative to work in the pharma industry sales. Um, but for example, you need to understand a lot the, the rules and regulations that come around selling in the pharma world and in the mm. medical world. So I think less easy to transition into. Let's say you come from um, a tech focused product and you move from selling one software to selling another software, easy move. Because yeah. I think then you always offer sort of software solutions that make some process on the client end more efficient, faster, right? Or, or some process easier. This is sort of what software is there to do. And you're very comfortable with, you know, doing demos with, for the software and you're interested in that topic. And mm -hmm. that would be an easy move. Um, I think what's also an easy move is work is going from one customer service focused industry to another industry that is, has a very high customer focus on customer service. Okay. So in my world, for example, we saw Apple hire a lot of people from Ritz-Carlton. Oh. Did you know that actually Ritz-Carlton trained uh, the customer service at Apple? Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, way back when. I think it was uh, probably 15 years ago or something like that. I'm sorry, I don't want to date it. But <laughs> I know that at some point Ritz-Carlton brought a, the customer service strategy to the Apple stores. So, it, it, And today I had, I think, at least three colleagues from the Ritz-Carlton Toronto move to Apple. So, wow. Interestingly. So you see, if you have that focus of, on customer service, I think then as well, it is easy to, to move within that And then what about people jumping into sales, experiencing it and realizing they don't like sales? Is it easy to transfer the skills to something non-sales and then vice versa? Maybe somebody in marketing now or tech, can they easily move into sales? I think sales is a great place to start, first of all, because you learn so much about how the business is run. And in a sales uh, position, you are such a key stakeholder in the organization because you, you are in a revenue generating role. Mm -hmm. So, and being in the revenue meetings of your company, being part of these financial discussions brings a lot of value to your learning. So you learn how, what does the company bottom line look like when I sell 100 units of that product? What is the margin on that product versus on another product? Is it more efficient for our company to push, you know, one specific service or why is our company built the way it is, right? Like you understand a lot of that when you um, have a good handle on sales. So I think that's a It's in any case a good learning experience. Um, could I think marketing and sales now is more aligned than ever because th that has, has also a lot to do with COVID now. Uh, actually, one, one interesting trend is that um, sales is seeing less response to their emails versus marketing seeing a higher, uh, much higher response than they used to um, through COVID. So marketing emails see a great response and great open rate right now, uh, which points to the fact that clients are right now, you know, they're learning, they're interested in new resources. Mm -hmm. But if I'm now a salesperson and I see that customers are less likely to buy right now, and they're not really getting back to my outreach, but my colleague in marketing is seeing a lot of response and a lot of interest in whatever they're posting and sending out there, right? Then I would certainly align myself with that marketing person and try to analyze that marketing data and see how that translates to me as a sales professional. So I think right now and in today's modern sales world, you are very closely aligned with marketing and you would be more likely to be able to move from sales to marketing and vice versa. What about non-marketing? Say more UI, UX design, web development. Is it easy to transfer the skills from sales or the skills from other into 
in my opinion, these are quite different. Exactly. Wouldn't you think so? I mean, I'm not an expert in UX design, for example, but I would think that that is a more more technical, right? Wouldn't you have mm. a lot more programming knowledge than you would in sales? Um, and I would imagine that UX design is is not, are you a lot in front of the customer? Not really, yeah? I'm in, not in a, a UI, No, UI. I know, but <laughs> if you are in a UX role, um, maybe. or in a technical role, would you be? Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. So I would, I would imagine that that's less of a natural move, but I mean. As long as you upskill yourself and show the transferable yeah. skills can do. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Sales certainly has a lot of transferable skills when it comes to being in any kind of customer facing role. Okay. Because I think when you are in sales, you are essentially the ambassador of your brand. So how you represent your brand, how you deal with people around you is very, very important. So as long as that aspect is still part of your other role, I think that's a great and very valuable transferable skill. The second transferable skill is, of course, your financial understanding and your simply your oh, yeah. understanding of business analytics and how a business is run overall. Um, that is very transferable. And of course, any team works with budgets, whether it's your budget for how much money you're allowed to spend or how much money you have to generate, right? So having an understanding of profit and loss statements and all these things um, is, is another transferable skill. So now I want to jump forward to the situation we're in right now with COVID-19. Where do you see the sales trend moving from before to now to post-COVID? What is it going to look like? What are the skills that salespeople are going to be required to have post-COVID? Yeah. What does that look like to you? Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's a topic that, of course, I've been thinking about so much over the past month and I've been reading a lot about it. I think when COVID started, we all thought that it would be around for a shorter amount of time than we all realize it is going to be around for now. And I had to have that realization myself too. Um, and that is because on our customer side, so much has changed. 50% of clients, for example, have seen a decrease in budgets. That totally changes their buying behavior. Um, there are industries that have come to a complete standstill. So you as, a, as or many organizations have to completely rethink which industries they're selling to. And the decision-making process on the customer side has changed so much too. You know that in, in different countries, people have been furloughed, positions have been completely cut. So all of a sudden, when you would have, let's say, six people involved in a decision-making process or two mid-level mid managers, now the CEO may be the only decision-maker for that for, for purchasing a new product. Um, or there is just a lot of in, un, uh, insecurity, a lot of uncertainty on your client side. And they're like, they're, can I spend money on this right now? Like, yeah. who do I even talk to right now? Like, my colleague has been furloughed, so I'm not going to touch this, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be the one who's now signing that I'm buying something for whatever, 100,000 Hong Kong dollars. So I don't want to be responsible for that. So the sales cycle, the, the amount of time that it takes between a first interaction and a product actually having been sold has increased by about 40%. And that puts a lot of pressure on salespeople's targets, right? So you have people in your team that are all of a sudden not meeting their quota. Mm -hmm. um, and that causes a lot of stress, also a lot of mental stress. I think that's a big topic in sales right now, too. Yep. Um, and not only because of the quota, but also because you have a lot of extroverts. You have a lot of people that are super happy to travel and meet people. And now they're all behind their computers and they're like, hold on, I didn't sign up for this. This was yep. this. And now this is how it's going to stay for like all of next year. No, you know, or maybe the next two years. Who knows? So my um, I think that uh, 
in face-to-face meetings will come back. Eventually travel will come back. But I think if I put myself into the shoes of a financial controller and I see that my sales team used to spend so and so much money on entertaining customers and so and so much money on sales travel, I would certainly have a conversation with my head of sales because now I all of a sudden see, you know, things are kind of working in a remote setting. Yeah. We Maybe we go back to, of course, spending money on face-to-face interactions and, and sending our team around the world, but maybe we do it for in a more targeted approach or just a little bit less. So I think that ability to connect with your client in a virtual setting is very, very important right now. And that does not come very easily because it's not only about switching on Zoom and understanding the technology. It mm. has a lot more to do also with how focused you are, how you define that goal that we spoke about in a touch point. Now, it's it's even harder to get your client's attention when you're a thumbnail on a screen, right? So, yeah. And your client has the ability to jump from different windows, you know, while you're speaking because they may have already been in six hours of Zoom calls on that day. So you have to redefine your own sales playbook to still get your customer's attention and to still build that rapport in a virtual setting. Um, so that's a huge skill and a very valuable skill to have right now. And how can young people, especially fresh grads, prepare to enter the workforce in such a situation and then post-COVID? So I'm guessing the skills they really need to have getting into sales is a lot different now. Yeah, I think the the because of that that concept that we spoke about earlier people sell to people the the traditional sales skills are going to stay in terms of understanding how to build rapport how to build trust um active listening is a very important part in sales um of course things like negotiation you know persistence all of these elements are are going to stay um but virtual selling so understanding how to comport yourself virtually how to carry yourself virtually um that has be- is definitely a new skill to have, and being very sales, uh, sa- uh, sorry, very technology savvy. Um, if you are someone who does not really enjoy working with technology and lots of different tools, then I think right now that's probably not the best, you know, <laughs> industry for you to get into or the best function to get into. Because in sales, you certainly work with your CRM. There are different outreach tools that that my clients are using now, whether it's you know, uh, like recording little videos. Um, or, you know, integrating different chat functions into your CRM or different call softwares. or So there's a lot of technology that you also have to upkeep as a salesperson and use. And you should enjoy learning that technology. And yeah. I feel like every time I speak to you, I always learn something new, which I really appreciate. I'm sure the audience does. So thank you so oh, much for your you time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thomas. Today. Um, how can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing, your trainings, learning experiences? Sure. I, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I think that's a really good place to uh, look me up. Um, then, of course, I have my website, which is www.the-skill-shop.com. Um, I offer, as you mentioned briefly, virtual tr- learning experiences on a monthly basis, always around a different topic, and they're really quite affordable. And one thing I love about them is that you actually build, meet other sales managers you build a community around your own function so and i personally really enjoy that always because you have sometimes 10 different people on the call from different industries and but they all have some similar issues to discuss um and i'm also on instagram and facebook and and these places so i'm very available and i'm always very happy to hear from people perfect thank you so much for your time today thank you thomas great to see you again 